these. So, well, we'll continue our study in the Lord's Prayer this evening. So, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six, and last time we set the broader context in reading verses one to eighteen of this chapter, and uh, this evening we will just read verses six to fifteen together. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions also. Well, last time we introduced um, the purpose of prayer and uh, just some general thoughts about prayer and the Lord's Prayer. And so let, we'll just see if anybody was listening last time. Is the Lord's Prayer something that we should repeat over and over and over and over all the time? No. No. Roman get, wins the prize. You get an extra cookie tonight. Can you just call me? <laughs> Roman. Ramon. <laughs> <Yeah>. My name is <laughs> changing. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. That's okay. It's got moving it's vowels. Rare, it's a rare name. <laughs> so it's not something that's to be repeated. It's it's fine to pray this prayer, but it's meant to be more of a skeleton, kind of an a, an outline or something that we add flesh to it, kind of following this type of model. Um, we noted that one of the reasons for this study is that we would be more active in prayer and that we would pray more according to God's will and what He would have us pray. And in reality, that we often pray without God's concerns and sometimes can focus too much on our own concerns. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord wants us to, to um, go to Him with our needs. But at the same time, it's, sometimes we can be so imbalanced that we don't pray for God's name to be revered and for His will to be done and those types of things as much as we should. Uh, prayer is important because we're commanded to pray. We're told by the Apostle Paul to pray without ceasing. And really one of the purposes of prayer is to glorify God. It also enables us to be able to communicate with the God that has saved us. And so that leads to a, a greater zeal, a, a vibrancy in our Christian walk, knowing that we can go to God. It's not just that we're told what to do and then we just live our lives, but we have communion with Him. And that leads to the abundant life that Christ came to give us. 
John MacArthur said, Prayer is not asking God to do my will, it is bringing myself into conformity with his will. And that's, we, I mentioned that, that quote last time, I think it's quite good, because all too often we do come with our list, and we want our will to be done. Um, Thomas Watson, who has an excellent volume on the Lord's Prayer, um, and the Ten Commandments, and the body of divinity, those three kind of go together. I strongly encourage those for any who want to dig in more devotionally. But um, he's got these wonderful one-liners, like this particular one. Prayer is the key of heaven, and faith is the hand that turns it. So prayer is the key to heaven, faith is the, the hand that turns it. We talked last time about some of the elements of prayer. What what are some of those elements, aspects that are of our prayer that should be there? Worship. Worship, yeah. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Intercession. Intercession, absolutely, for others. Contrition, confession. Very important, yep. Coming with humility, um, even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that great prayer, you know, nevertheless not as I will, but as your your will would be done. <coughs> also, there's something I didn't bring up last time, but perseverance in prayer. Remember the widow in Luke 18 that kept coming to the judge, kept coming to the judge. And Jesus, the whole purpose of that is to teach us to persevere in our prayers. For example, praying for a loved one that's outside of Christ, praying for a parent, a grandparent, inter- interceding um, in, in those situations. And, you know, there's a whole host of uh, examples of how God is pleased after 25 years of prayer, 50 years of prayer. I think George Mueller prayed for a friend for 40-some years, and, and finally, you know, he came to faith. He prayed every day, you know, and so the Lord's timing is always perfect, but he does use means. And then the structure of the Lord's Prayer, there's six petitions. The first three have to do with what? God's glory, his purposes. And the final three have to do with man's need and man's concerns. So three and three. And tonight we're only going to look at the preface, which is our Father who is in heaven. The first petition begins after that. Hallowed be your name. And so just the preface, and why is the preface important? Because we need to know who we are addressing. I mean, Jesus includes, pray then in this way, and he uses that, the word Father. It's an opening uh, invocation. Um, this model prayer is immensely practical. And um, notice what the Lord's Prayer does not teach us. It does not tell us a particular posture, a particular time of day when to pray. It, it, it's not meant to give the exact words to pray over and over and over and over and over. It's meant to be that, that model prayer. Hence, Jesus, pray then in this way, not pray these exact words, right? Uh, it doesn't tell us what to wear, a white gown, a cloth, uh, you know, whatever, you know. So those things are not told to us. It is fitting to pray, therefore, in any posture, any time of day, day, night, early morning, late night, midday, in any place, wherever you are at, in any attire, in any situation. 
Think of Jonah in the belly of the whale, right? And, and, and when he prays after the whale swallows him, I'm not going to turn here. Turn there. You can do that later. But, but what would most people pray the first words out of their mouth if they were swallowed by a whale in a slimy, fish-smelling, you know, stomach of some sort of a water, mod, you know, thing? Oh, it would be, get me out of here! <laughs> Help! Right? But Jonah, if you look, and um, Jonah 2, he's praising God for who he is. You know, in Jonah 2 9, salvation is of the Lord. He's drawing really from um, it's some of the language that's, that's there is, is like, like unto the Psalms themselves. So he begins with that anthem of praise. Jeremiah 32, much of his ministry was uh, frustrating. Um, he saw little fruit. Uh, the people were so rebellious. I mean, he had a broken heart. He's known as the weeping prophet. But he shows, when he prays, God's majesty as he lists these attributes. Um, you can look in your Bibles if you want. Jeremiah 32, <coughs> 17 to 19. Jeremiah 32. Actually, we'll begin at verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you, who shows loving kindness to thousands but repays the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds, who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind, and you have made a name for yourself as at this day. And he just goes on speaking of the mighty deeds that the Lord has done. So as we come to Matthew, so we just, that's just all by way of introduction. He begins with our Father, who we are to pray to. And A.W. Pink also has a great work on the Lord's Prayer, and I've got a couple quotes by him, but he says this, <clears throat> The opening clause is a suitable preface to all that follows. It presents to us the great object to whom we pray. It teaches us the covenant office that he sustains to us and denotes the obligation imposed on us. All real, real prayer ought to begin with a devout contemplation and to express an acknowledgement of the name of God and his perfections. So to begin first and foremost with who we are approaching, God who is infinite, God who has created all things, who sustains all things, God who is sovereign that orders by his providence all the events in our lives, everything that is happening, we address him with reverence. We know who, who, who we are coming to. We acknowledge 
his name and his perfections. Hence the first uh, petition, which we'll get to next time, Hallowed be your name. It speaks of his character, his reputation, that it would be set apart beyond, uh, apart from every other name. So it sets our minds right to come to the Father, to address him, to remember who we're coming to. Thomas Watson again says, there is, a, there is more sweetness in the word Father than if we had a thousand worlds because of that sweetness, that familial sweetness, which we'll unpack a little bit uh, more in a moment. A.W. Pink says, We should draw near to the throne of grace with suitable apprehensions of God's sovereign majesty and power, yet with holy confidence in his fatherly goodness. So you see how he's got kind of both there, the idea that God is he's in heaven, he's transcendent, but he's also father. Now, the Jews themselves, I mean, is it was it common that the Jews would address Jehovah God as father? No. It's, it's not, not common at all. Um, turn to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. And we have just here another example of addressing how to come to the Lord, uh, at least how the psalmist did. In verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. And then in verse 8 and 10, he speaks of, again, of the character of God. For there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. Verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. And then it's after that, pleading, give ear, O Jehovah God, hear my prayer, Yahweh, and for you are worthy, you have done all these things. Then verse 11, the practicality, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The Jews' concept of Father, it does occur sometimes. In Psalm 68, it speaks of the nearness of God. Psalm 103, as a father takes pity on his children. So it's not that it doesn't occur at all, but it's just something radically different when we come to the New Testament. When Jesus teaches us this model prayer, it brings out the idea that during the time of Christ, the use of Father when referring to God was rare. The terms like Sovereign Lord, King of the Universe, all of those were much more common. Then Jesus comes along and uses this term Father, Abba Father, Daddy, this nearness like his, that has never been known before. The Son of God, in a unique sense, could say this because he was the Son of the Father. But the profound thing is, is that we are encouraged to address him the same way because we're in that family. That's an awesome thing to consider. So our father, whose father? Well, God has obviously created all men, but in particular here, it's speaking spiritually, so therefore it's referring to the elect. The Apostle John makes that distinction between 
children of God and children of the world in, in 1 John, the uh, epistle, First uh, John, First John three one. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Uh, the Gospel of John chapter one begins with um, as many as received Him to Him, them they gave He gave the right to be sons of God. So therefore, this prayer is directed towards Christians. Now, Jesus set an example. If you go through the Gospels, how many times do you think Jesus refers to God as Father? Just roughly. <laughs> hundred times? A hundred, okay, hundred. Yeah, about 70 times. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. It's a lot, and, uh, and it's just wonderful. I mean... Even in John 17, I didn't go through and count, but I mean, it's repeated again and again and again. It's something wonderful. Now, he always addressed his father like that, except for one occasion. Do we know when that was? What did he say? It was that cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me that was the only time and that's because he was separated by bearing our sin during that time when he was incurring the wrath of God so this term is reserved for those who believe Uh, the idea of the term father shows intimacy closeness you know much like think of your human father should be some intimacy some closeness Isaiah 64 the first part we, we all know this, this verse, 64 and verse 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All of us wither like a leaf. All of our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us the power unto, into the power of our iniquities. So this is a desperate situation that Isaiah is, is saying. And then Isaiah reminds them that the father takes care of their children. He goes, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. And so even after talking about our our righteous deeds are like filthy rags were just like a, a a filthy rag and just absolutely unclean before the Lord he cries out to the Lord that you are our father we are clay but you're the potter Mark can you go to Romans 8:15 and um Caleb, why don't you go to Galatians 4.6. We'll just look at a couple of these uh, texts where the idea of Abba Father comes out, the idea of Daddy in, in the context of adoption. <clears throat> Romans 8.15. For, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
Excellent. And Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Right. So there's, there's a couple of the texts that speak of that, because by virtue of us being in the family of God, we really can go to him with that closeness. Daddy. Daddy. That's really what the, the closeness of what Abba Father speaks of. After the resurrection, Jesus instructs Mary, and he says in John 20 and verse 17, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go, and, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. We can say that to Mary. So, our Father, and then the second part of the preface here is, Who is in heaven? A clear distinction is made that this is not just any father. You don't pray to your human fathers. You don't pray to a father of a, a tribal father, or a chief of a tribe of some sort or anything. It's, it's the one who is in heaven, and that is only one. And so this, what it does, brethren, is it strikes the right balance. Father points to his nearness, his goodness, his grace, his care, his closeness, and in heaven points to his greatness, his immortal, invisible, God only wise, how he's transcendent, how he's majestic. Father teaches his nearness to us, and heaven shows his infinite exaltation. And the term father, it, it, it shows us that there's confidence and love and care in heaven. It speaks of the idea of awe and reverence. Now, it's important that we have those balanced because our prayers, if you only have the fact that it's a God in heaven that you're praying to, you can come without confidence and in fear and, and not come with the assurance that God is with you and loves you and has your, your best in, in, in at mind. Now, the opposite is true, too, that if you just remember Father, but you don't remember that He's the transcendent God, you can come flippantly and uh, irreverently and, and that kind of thing. And so I think Jesus, I mean, obviously, is um, extremely wise here and causing us to reflect that this is who we are addressing, our Father who is in heaven. And it just balances it out. So there's no more fear of uncertainty that we can come to the Father. There's real hope that he cares for us and our future and our, our destiny and our situation, our trials, our difficulties that we're going through. He, is, he cares. He's with us. The idea of despairing because we feel like we, we see our own sin and it's like you know we can despair and not come to him where we should come to him with confidence and plead the blood of Christ. If you confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is always with us. He's a friend that never leaves us. Mercy is there as well. So, and then notice also, it's we're not told to pray, my father... Remember we talked about this last time? But our Father, right? He is my Father, but notice he he does not teach the disciples to pray that way. It's 
and as you go through, as we go through these, I think we'll see the idea of all of these speaking together collectively, the people of God praying along there. So there's a selflessness implied there. Prayer embraces the idea of a community of faith and our ends uh, any claims to exclusivity. Seeing God as Father reminds us of our obligation to obey, just as my children who are present have because of my position and my role um, and even though I'm not a perfect father, I'm a s- sinful and, and, and all of that by virtue of my position and role they are to obey and we are to obey him because he's of infinite worth and he is a perfect father uh, to us any thoughts on that? just to flush that, I, that out uh, to me, when I first studied the Lord's Prayer many years ago, this just this very concept that I'm trying to communicate in stammering speech, the idea of our Father that's so close, who is in heaven, being wedded together as the one that we approach, is of great comfort and brings great balance to our prayers. Anybody want to just add on to that or have any thoughts? I think understanding that would lead you to when I have more time in prayer and seeing that God as a father would desire that time from you. Yeah. It's like as opposed to like seeing the Lord in a way of a wrathful you know, it's just it's kind of a a hard concept in one way because it's like in some ways, it kind of goes against the human way that we look at things. Mm. But I was like, when you embrace the truth of what the scripture says here, it, it just draws your heart to want to wanna spend that time and, and go to Him in that way. It is. It's an, it's an encourage. It should be something that's more of a magnet, more of a our desires to pray should be increased because of this. Excellent. Other thoughts? You know, for me, um, just we all probably have testimonies of how our earthly fathers have let us down in one way or another. And so I know for me, I struggle because um, to have a right view of God because my earthly father was distant. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to view God as high and holy, separate from me, but mm-hmm. not the near, close, care about the details of my life sort of father. And I battle that. I battle to see him as near. Yeah, and that's the, uh, the, what you just explained is actually very common for a lot of people when they, you know, whatever, a, a bad home and all of that. And, and so, and then later in life, when we're converted, and then we're trying to understand this concept. That it, it's kind of a hurdle, isn't it? You know, it's it's fuzzy, and and it's uh, and that's where we go to the scriptures, and then we believe the scriptures because they're infallible and perfect. And um, the Jews, of course, you know, they couldn't understand this concept of addressing transcendent Yahweh so as Father. You know, they couldn't really understand that. And then contrast that to today. And, and some of the stuff that goes on in the modern church, for example, there was a 
there's a brand new, well, the church has been around for a while, but they're, they moved right across the freeway from us, C3 San Diego. And um, so, I, yeah, I, t- I took a little glimpse at that, and um, there's like a little welcome video that, that he and she pastors, you know, and um, there's several lady pastors and everything, but I, I, I came across that today, finally, I've been wanting to look because it's so close to our church. And, um, and I, I've, I stumbled across it before years ago, you know, but it's, you know, they, there is just, um, from what I could see from the videos and from the stuff that they said is going on at the church, there is, from what I could see on the website, there is no reverence whatsoever. It's all about pleasing self, dance teams, you know, just major entertainment, touchy-feely gospel, you know, and all of that, and, and, and so, so the, the I guess what I'm saying is the contrast is that the whole transcendentness and holiness and justice of God is completely removed. God's just your fuzzy good buddy. He's just just above, he's on the second floor, he's so close, you know? Just right above the ceiling, you know? And, and, and that's, that's, that's the mentality that is communicated. And, I mean, we, we sang it earlier... Um, and this hymn, that's why I chose it. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. There's that holiness, that transcendence. But then notice, great father of glory, pure father of light, thy angels adore thee, all veiling their sight, all praise we would render, O help us to see, tis only the splendor of light that hideth thee. And so... The hymn writer brings out the idea of those both both of these things that we've been trying to hammer out um, this evening. That he is transcendent, but he's also a very personal God for us. We need both, and this is an amazing thing to grasp. So, just in conclusion, you know, my my purpose again. I'll, I'll just say it again, and um, maybe it's a little selfish of me, but I want to see my own prayer life transformed and to grow more and I want to see the people in our church their prayer life to be transformed to grow so my agenda is simple that in studying this that we would pray not only more often but more biblically now let me qualify that that's not to earn our salvation that's not to give us a higher place in heaven it's because we've been saved and this is what we should be called to do as far as giving praise to God as we come to him in prayer and in worship we must remember uh, Hebrews 11.6, believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Our prayer should be marked by fervency and reverence and confidence. Thomas Watson brings this out. Prayer is the gun we shoot with. Fervency is the fire that discharges it. And faith is the bullet which pierces the throne of grace. Isn't that just amazing? That's a good one, yeah. Prayer is the gun we shoot with. Fervency is the fire that discharges it, the gunpowder, I guess. And faith is the bullet that pierces the throne of grace. So we need to ask ourselves, do we really love God? If we truly love God, and remember, he's loved us first. He saved us, and we should respond by wanting to spend time with him in communion. Just like your spouse you want to spend time with, your best friend, you know, you want to spend time with, 
so too we should want to spend time with the Lord. So may the Lord help us uh, in these things.